0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Maybe I am, really, you know, still yet. (laughs) Mark 11, verse number 15, starting... The Bible says, And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. The scribes and chief priests heard it sought how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. For a little while tonight, I want, to, I want to teach this evening. I've been preaching this whole month you haven't been in a series for a long time you haven't been in a series for a long time you've been preaching all this month you've had a break from all that it's coming back all right but I would like to teach this evening on this it's kind of a you know we started with the rebirth of prayer the rebirth of prayer and so this is kind of the bookend for the bookend for this, the, the, the theme of prayer this month and I want to teach on the the thieves thieves of prayer, thieves, robbers, thieves of prayer, all right, amen, let's go to the Lord right now to pray, Jesus, God, we need your help again this evening, I pray, oh God, you would enlighten our minds, lighten our hearts and souls, Lord, as we come, Lord Jesus, to the end, Lord, of this themed month of prayer, God, we have, Lord, approached the sacred desk time and time again during the week and on weekends talking about prayer, admonishing ourselves to pray, underscoring the importance of prayer. I pray, oh God, let this serve as a bookend, God, to all of those things that we have heard and all those things that have been said. Once again, feed us the Lord Jesus from your word. We'll be appreciative of it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Can everyone say amen? Shake a neighbor's hand before you see seated tonight. Look at your neighbor and say, "Thieves of prayer," or you might need to ask them if they're being robbed. You know, <clears throat> the text that we read this evening in <clears throat> in the Word of the Lord is the second account, a second account of the cleansing of the temple. I know sometimes whenever we read uh, the harmony of the Gospels that if we read something that's similar to another occurrence in another gospel, we just believe it's the same story that's retold. But uh, this is actually the second. The, the temple, as recorded by the word of the Lord, had a couple of cleansings. Uh, one is just about three years removed from the other one. The, the first cleansing that took place in the temple was recorded in John chapter number 2. That Jesus came in and had a cleansing to the temple And just for a side note, if anybody would just wish to know, the cleansing of the temple in John 2 was the first public act that Jesus ever performed in Jerusalem, which I think is a powerful statement within itself, that his first public act in Jerusalem was for a cleansing of the temple. And so whenever you, though, start to make a comparison between uh, the the cleansing, uh, the first cleansing that happened at the temple and the second cleansing that happened at the temple, it appears to be that there is a huge Progression that has come about. In John 2, one finds the Lord simply saying that the temple had been turned, and his phraseology is, into a house of merchandise. But what we read in Mark number 11, three years later, at the cleansing of the temple, is that, uh, is that it had deteriorated into a, not a house of merchandise, now he calls it, but a den of thieves just three short years in order for that digression to happen and whenever the Lord walked into the temple on both of these occasions on both of these days uh, he was very determined and had a mindset to clean it up uh, to turn it around to make it as it should be if you can just imagine the Lord walking into a littered court there and uh, beginning to see some caged animals you know sitting uh, around the temple perhaps in disarray. Uh, there was a little bit of uh, we'll just call it what it is, anger uh, that welled up inside of him. He could hear there in, in the vicinity of the temple uh, the bleeding of sheep and the cooing if you will of doves and oxen that were chewing cud you know in their mouth over in different corners. The, the rattling of money that's being swept off a table down into uh, perhaps a leathern bag. The the, the foul smell of animals that are just standing there waiting for sacrifice, that droppings, if you will, that are there on the ground, that there's just an aroma that is uh, around the temple. Uh, seeing people that are uh, money changers, that are, that are cheating, if you will, worshipers, one after another, almost without uh, any thought of, of shame to themselves and uh, just cheating, irreverence, everything that's going on right here in He happens to find himself, you remember he braids himself together a rope and he drives them out, which is interesting within itself And this is by no means Bible or Scripture, but I began to deduce these animals that have been brought with cords of such nature into that place, and maybe it's just a broken cord or some tethered part of a cord that he rebraids for the purpose of going in there and taking care of business among the money changers and cleansing the temple. And so the first time three years ago he came to the temple, he cleansed it. And so three years later he comes to the temple and he cleanses it. Now... The second cleansing of the temple, uh, there is a little bit more pronounced anger that we see even recorded in Scripture than that of the first temple. And you can understand. Have you ever told your child to clean up a room? And whenever it gets to the point that you get being repetitious, you're not as kind as you was the first time. There's just something about having to say it again. That it clicks something in our emotional spectrum, it goes from zero to sixty, and our face gets red, veins pop out of my neck when I got to repeat something. So you can imagine the Lord having went in and cleansed the temple. For only three years later, had I not already done this. Had I not already taken care of business? And so he sees that there's a little bit more anger that we see portrayed in Scripture because evidently there's a people here that's rebelling against something that he's trying to teach, rebelling against something that he's trying to keep, keep in, in, in safeguard. And so he understood... What's taking place right now at this third year, if you will, cleansing that this was not an overnight thing. Amen. Animals just didn't show up out of nowhere, and lo and behold, here it all is. No, this was something that happened over time. This was something that happened with a progression, and it, it gradually just got worse and until there was a change, until they had become from a house of prayer to a house of merchandise. Three, three years later to a house that he calls a den of thieves and, and prayer seemingly forced if you will out of the temple and whenever you remove the aspect of prayer from the temple you desecrate the temple and so with him he's going to go in here and he's going to cleanse and he walks in and it's the way many times uh, that the Lord does even with our lives. He comes in sometimes, walks into our life and, and he cleanses and he takes away those things that are ineffective that may be dangerous and uh, that could even be a demise to some of the more sacred things in our lives. You know scripture speaks in the New Testament scripture that you know, we're to. there would be a time that they would even walk through and they would cleanse the house of all leaven. And leaven was, was a parallel or symbolical to sin. we get rid of all the leaven because if you leave leaven long enough, it's going, to, it's going to have some influence. If you leave it long enough, it's going to have some great influence and it's going to escalate. And so it's imperative to get rid of the thieves or the leaven uh, that's in our houses because... Uh, something is for sure, and this is what the people were trying to do in the temple in certain degrees, and if we can apply it to our modern day lives, uh, they were trying to market their their sacrifice of prayer, trying to market it, market a sacrifice of prayer. You know, they, they were trying to trade their offerings for righteousness, bartering, if you will, selling some devotion for faithfulness. These are things that could not be purchased per se or bought per se. Amen. They could only come about truly those sacrifices of prayer and righteousness and faithfulness. All those things could only come about by what the house was really intended to be and that was a house of devoted prayer. Amen. And I would dare to say that even American society has hurt uh, the church's prayer life greatly. Uh, we have went after the heir of Balaam scripture says it would happen and we have we have went after the heir of Balaam very greedy sometimes with our pursuit of wealth and of money amen have because any like you know the idea today is you know just name the price if you need it if you want to acquire it if you have enough money it can happen you know that's the society we live in there isn't what's the phrase there isn't anything that money cannot buy and so with that type of mentality, we sometimes adopt that in our spiritual lives, thinking that we can somehow buy spiritual things. Amen. Buy spiritual things. And so there was that buying and selling mentality that was going on even in Jesus' day. Yet the cry that I hear uh, today for the church, or it should be the cry of the church, and that is a cry for revival. It's a cry for revival. Coming from the saints, coming from the church, coming from the spiritual leaders, I hope of the assembly is a cry for revival. But we can't be a church per se of modern society and be caught in uh, looking for revival in all the wrong places. Because some look for revival uh, through just the idea of pursuing a program. Some have looked for revival just by chasing after the new cutting-edge seminar, buying perhaps the new you know, most popular New York bestseller book in the Christian section. Yeah. Or, or, or you know, just, just, you know, whether it be whatever it may be, just trying to find that little niche that is the popular flame just in churches overall, regardless of what your flavor is. Amen. Just getting on that bandwagon and ride it along before every other church. But revival doesn't come by that way. Amen. It comes from prayer. And it comes by prayer amen and there are thieves that take prayer away from God's people amen and I believe if there's a time for us to be devoted to prayer it is it is now a time to have a a lifestyle of prayer it is now amen there's a constant struggle the enemy doesn't want you interceding for anybody doesn't want you interceding for the condition of your church doesn't want you interceding for your family And just as much as he's aware of the power of prayer, we need to make ourselves aware of that same power of prayer because it should be a daily practice. The early church, it was their practice. If I may, just a few verses of Scripture, I'll run through these. They will not be on the screen concerning the early church. Acts 1.14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in several things, but one among them were in prayers. Acts 3 1, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Acts 4 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Acts 6 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Acts eleven five. 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying. Acts twelve five. prayer was made without seizing of the church. Acts 12 12, where many were gathered together praying. Acts 13, 3, and when they had fasted and prayed. Acts 16, 16, as we went to prayer, and that's a snapshot of the list of the scriptures that are in the book of Acts that concern the subject matter of prayer. The church birth, if you will, in Acts 2, and following shortly thereafter, you see a steady diet, if you will, of prayer, praying, and fasting, continuing in prayer Constantly, all throughout the book of Acts. And alongside that prayer, you've seen deliverance, you've seen miracles, you've seen signs, you've seen wonders, you've seen multitudes that came to the Lord who believed, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that were baptized in Jesus' name. And I don't think it's coincidence that right along all side of that was people who had given themselves to prayer. Leonard Ravenhill said this, and these words I'm about ready to quote of him, let me tell you, it's not for the faint-hearted. They are very, they're very stout words. But he, 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 he was speaking about the church having made such emphasis on prayer and evangelism. He, he had a few questions for the modern-day church, and these are stout words. This is from a book that he wrote called Revival Praying. He says, is it really a comfort to know that the recent converts will become just like us? What if they are as lazy and self-excusing in the matter of personal devotion to Jesus and self-excusing in the matter of personal devotion to Jesus and active engagement in so winning as the rest of our listed church members? He says, is that a thrilling thought or is it a spine-chilling thought? Amen. We don't need thieves to rob us of our prayer. The church will be restored as the church should be and as it was whenever the den of thieves, the dens of merchandise, become houses of prayer. Whenever Jesus went into the temple and he went to cleanse each of them, prior to the cleansing of the temple, you'll read some other stories. And in the stories, each of them, that seems as though they were preceded with a cursing, if you will. Uh, In each, there were cursings for emptiness. And the first occurrence of Jesus going to the temple for the cleansing, we have the story of the marriage of Cana of Galilee. And Jesus is there. And there is something that is brought to Jesus while he's there at the marriage. And it is empty wine vessels. Prior to the second cleansing of the temple, this is not brought to the Lord, but he takes notice of it himself as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And that he sees barren fig trees that were there. We have empty pots we have barren trees both of them speaking about emptiness both of them that had promise but didn't have any performance and so the first curse wasn't as obvious as the second curse that preceded the second cleansing of the temple but whenever the wine there at the wedding feast had been depleted and there was no more they brought those empty containers unto the Lord at the marriage of Cana and the curse of empty vessels was right before Jesus Christ and his solution for that moment for this first time of emptiness approaching him was that he would perform a miracle and he would heal the malady that was right before him. The second time that he was presented with emptiness by means of there being a barren fig tree prior to the second cleansing of the temple, his reaction is drastically different. It wasn't brought to him. He noticed it, amen, without it being brought to his attention. He found, the Bible says, a fig tree that was full of leaves, and fig trees, whenever they bore their leaves, they were supposed to bear their fruit at the same time. It happened simultaneously. And so he went to the fig tree that had leaves that indicated there should be fruit, and whenever he got to there, there was no fruit upon the tree. And as a result, the Bible says his reaction now to this emptiness upon this fig tree is that he cursed the fig tree, and it withered away, and by the next morning, it was completely and entirely dead. So before the first cleansing of the temple he did a miracle. There was a healing for the emptiness. But before the second cleansing of the temple he cursed the emptiness. The first sign of emptiness before the first cleansing of the temple it received grace from God. But when it went back three years later to the second cleansing of the temple that second sign of emptiness received judgment of God. The first sign of emptiness was filled with wine. The second sign of emptiness was cursed to remain empty. The first sign of emptiness was because of limited resources. The second sign before the second cleansing was because of limited maturity. And the only cure for modern day church The only cure for emptiness in our lives is for full restoration of prayer unlike never before. Amen. Amen. We have some thieves of prayer. They did in their day. We still do yet in our day. There are thieves of prayer. They steal holy things. They steal sacred things. They're subtle. Sometimes they just get lost in our life. but They come in bold when they're ready to attack. Without hesitation, they're eager and ready to challenge us. The priest of the Lord's time, our first thief of prayer is the thief of convenience. The priests of the Lord's time had followed a similar suit. Hophni and Phoenix, Eli's sons, the Bible says they were clanking in their flesh hook and they were bringing out goodly portions for themselves to eat. They were robbing those who were coming to worship. And now, New Testament scripture, Caiaphas and Annas and those that are with them had found also a way to make huge profits, if you will, off the worshipers that were coming to the temple. As a matter of fact, some historians say that. It was estimated that the high priest and those that were with him were actually charging as much as ten times the normal worth of a sacrifice to those who were visiting the temple to make their sacrifice. And the plea, of course, would be this. Hey, don't worry about bringing your own sacrifice to the temple. That was custom. That is what was supposed to happen. Those who came to the temple were supposed to bring their own sacrifice. But see, the call and the thief of convenience was saying, don't worry about bringing your sacrifice to the temple. Let's make it convenient for you. And you can purchase your sacrifice right here. You can buy it whenever you get here. Let me tell you something. Convenience will always be the enemy of sacrifice. Convenience will always be the enemy of sacrifice sacrifice amen we say well shame on those priests they should have not done that you know be offering that to the people well you know blame blame it's not just shame on the priests but shame on the worshipers that were come knowing it was their responsibility to bring their sacrifice and to buy into the idea of a convenient sacrifice amen they, they had sold out their devotion they had sold out their whole scheme of this ploy of convenience amen there's nothing about convenience that's even remotely related to sacrifice amen nothing about convenience that's even remotely related to sacrifice, here's what convenience will tell you and I convenience will tell us we need not to pray so much anymore we have a we have, we have a Spartan, we've got a great group of musicians that can play and sing beautifully There's no need to pray anymore. We got that. There's no need to pray anymore. We're in our third building. A big pitfall some churches, whenever they have built new buildings, is that they don't have to do what they used to have to do because they have now arrived. Man, if uh, the Swedish bank account just ever hits the church, the mentality we don't have to pray anymore. You know, finances are good, finances are being great. We don't have to we don't have to pray anymore. All the needs of the church and the needs of the people are being met. We don't we don't have to pray anymore. Our, 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 you get the idea? The the word and the voice of convenience says you don't need to anymore. There's nothing there that's warranting you to pray. That, you know, because people pray when problem, people pray lack of finances, people pray when sick, people pray when distressed. But when everything else is okay, what's the purpose of prayer? There's no need to do that. Convenience will tell you why work so hard. Whenever you're not in need of anything, right? And so we bring convenience and we have convenient substitutes, if you will, for prayer. But if you continue a mind like that and continue a practice like that, it'll destroy really what God has truly in store for your life. It'll take away your passion for purity, for holiness. It'll take away your passion for worship, your relationship. It'll take away your passion for the powerful and the prophetic if you continue in a line of just convenience. That's the reason why God longs for His church to be a praying church. But if convenience was to be a first enemy, then our second enemy or our, our thief, if you will, of prayer is busyness. The example of busyness in Scripture is one that we oftentimes use found in Luke 10 and verse 40. The Bible says, But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken from her. Again, Martha was so busy with the necessary Busy with the pressing things of life that she missed what Mary gained by sitting at the feet of Jesus with the wisdom of all ages speaking. And what, and what was it then that I asked myself the question that, that caused Martha to become so cumbered about with much serving? What was it that caused her to do that? Well, Martha, she's she's serving for, no doubt, the crowd of people that perhaps gathered at her home. She is supervising those that are helping her. I mean, she's like the... the, the the big cook, you know, she's, she's wearing the big hat, she's the chef and she's orchestrating everything, she's supervising and, and no doubt she's involved with the idea that it's Jesus coming to her house, so everything's got to be just so-so and just right and all of this stuff, but with all of the busyness that Martha is doing, she's trading for some very critical and crucial things because as Martha is busy giving away all of these doing all this stuff necessary things yes but in the process of doing so she was giving away an opportunity amen that time would forever seal in other words she would not get back she could not reclaim Martha's busyness was missing something that could never be regained never be retrieved she was robbing herself amen of her reverence unto the Lord amen of paying some homage for a period of time to the master amen she was being in the process of her doing found to be more self-reliant than God-reliant amen were there necessary things to be done yes but nothing is so necessary that it totally robs extracts from you your time with the master Although they're needful and necessary... Let me tell you, when you're done with your time and your master, I often say we say concerning our kids, my wife and I we might not have the concept of some people way years ago, but sometimes there's stuff that needs to be done, but you know what? We don't do it because our kids are not always going to be that age. They're not always going to want me to get down in the sand and play with them although there's needful things. Let me tell you something. Whenever God's calling you to a place of prayer, yeah, there are still things that need to be done. There are still yard work that needs to be done. A lot of stuff. Sometimes so, you just got to stop all of that and say, I'm spending time with the master. Because whenever I get done with this, the yard work's still going to be there, the laundry's still going to be there, the bed's still going to have to be made, we'll still have to go visit and so and so. But I cannot, cannot allow the thief of busyness to steal my relationship with God. It is a thief. Just the idea of time alone, it's a thief. We're too busy to go out to eat. We're too busy to visit with our relatives. Seriously. We're we're too busy to read the book that we bought three months ago. Just too busy. And so that mentality steps over in our spiritual life. We become too busy for prayer. We become too busy for outreach. We become too busy for church. God knows I need to do this. Yes, He does. But eternity's not hinged on that. Eternity's hinged upon a life of prayer. Amen and sadly Martha she, all needful things and even some spiritual connotations of what she was doing but still finding herself as she didn't watch it very spiritually undernourished we must give ourselves to prayer and whenever you're in the fast lane sometimes that's real difficult for people that are, live life in the fast lane it's difficult sometimes for them to find time to pray prayer is very unnatural to Americans in our society who are driven to success amen they're so busy doing but never becoming what God wants because they're not spending time in, in prayer spiritual leaders let me tell you pastors and leadership in churches can fall prey to the thief of busyness They're reading all the books about prayer. Gathering material for Bible studies for their small groups and their prayer groups. Go to seminars on prayer. Listen tape CDs and all that nature concerning prayer. And all that's great and fine, but those things should only be complementary to the actual praying. Amen. A third thief. Convenience busyness The third thief that is a thief of prayer is the thief of apathy the concepts (laughs) man this is just a book in okay on the prayer I'm not reading any minds here but there could be some things maybe over the past month someone just saying pastor why get so worked up about prayer why why allow yourself whenever they talk about prayer just to feel so pressured about whenever you haven't done those are questions that are indicators of a spirit of apathy why don't just let things go as they are why in the world should the first apostolic church be challenged to pray why are you trying to stir things up around here? You know, we've pretty smooth sailing. Everything was fine, and you got to rear the head of some of these things that maybe we've altered on a little bit or whatever. We tiptoed around, and you just kind of, you know, shaking the boat. Those are questions that are indicators of a spirit of apathy. If you don't know what apathy means. Apathy basically means this, a lack of interest, a lack of emotion. It is indifference, Apathy spirit to a certain degree was illustrated in 2nd Kings chapter 13 you can read the chapter, chapter 13 the Bible speaks of whenever there is a young man by the name of Joash there, an elderly man by the name of Elisha uh, Elisha is teaching Joash his hands how to war so to speak had him shoot an arrow out the window and then he had Joash, he said Joash he said strike the ground with the arrows Joash struck the ground Who seemed to be a little bit apathetic about his current situation and condition? He just went through the motions. It's like Elisha says, strike the ground with the arrows. It's like, whoopee. (laughs) You know, someone says, oh, it's church time. They're striking the arrows. Whoopee. Men's Prayer. Quarter after five on Sunday, they're striking their arrows. Whoopee. Because look at the scripture. Elijah speaks back to Joash. And he says, you know, Joash, he says, you're going to have some deliverance. He said, but I would have given you complete deliverance if you had smacked those arrows just a few more times on the ground. Because just in the little smacking of the arrows on the ground, Joash was just showing, yeah, this is great. He wasn't very passionate He wasn't very enthusiastic. He was kind of detached emotionally from the whole situation. Yeah, I just do what I do. He said, if you'd been a little bit more passionate about it, a little bit more enthusiastic, a little bit more emotional about it, you wouldn't have just had part of a victory. I'd given you totally victory. Total victory. He said, if you just smoked those arrows just a few more times, your whole nation would have received a great, great victory. But you are nurturing a spirit of apathy you're disconnected you're not interested you're no longer emotionally amen. have no emotional interest anymore you're just going through the motions Joash some of the difficult situations even of our own personal lives even like the church sometimes may change might change I could say somehow we would also at times just push aside that thief of apathy out of our spirits and replace it with true passion true fervor amen for God in prayer or for God just in church life in general amen in general so if we are apathetic not pathetic that too but if we are apathetic in our praying there's some consequences that can come Amen. Because they got some deliverance, but their enemy ended up having an upper hand over them. Your enemy could pre have an upper hand over you. Whenever you're not in emotionally involved, but you're just raising the head, bowing the head, folding the hands, saying words just to say words, going through the motions, but you don't have the motion. You don't have the emotion. You don't have the investment. Amen. The attack of the enemy could be very detrimental if you're just apathetic about your routines in God's house. Your routine to God's house. Not only that, it causes then the true power of God to come under some type of carnal scrutiny. Is Is that all it is? you can have two people pray one pray passionately and the other pray the one that has no emotional investment indifferent is that all it is there is a portrayal of two people per se doing the exact same thing but one that's apathic that has apathy in their mode being no emotion they're portraying a whole different story to the bystander, to the onlooker. A church that has a spirit of apathy. Set them right by another apostolic Pentecostal church. You got the same name, you got the same label, but you can portray two different things. If there's a spirit of apathy that's present instead of a spirit of passion, that's present. Bible speaks that Jesus was undoubtedly a man of passion. Throughout the Scripture, we read of occurrences of his passion and compassion. His spirit moved, was so moved in him that he groaned in anguish in Scripture. Amen. His indignation, his passion brought about so fiercely that one man was left just speechless because of the way that he was so passionate. Amen. His, his conviction or condemnation upon a certain man's character Amen. left him bare left him black just left him just totally stripped of everything whenever his look at suffering and misery and he's seen it all around him while he walked along the streets of Galilee it stirred something inside. when he seen the sick he had to heal them It was just, he had an emotional connection to what was going on. Amen. He gave himself to the smallest of things of life. Amen. John the Baptist even wondered about his identity, thinking, would a king really do this? Because, man, this guy is like, woo, AWOL, I mean, he is passionate. He's just out there. He's acting even beyond a king. You know, king, he's pomp and he's, he's collected and he's sophisticated and he's got decorum and he's all this and that. He said, but this this Jesus, is he a king? They call him the king of the Jews, but man, look how that guy's acting. Seen the multitudes moved with compassion, had great passion over the city of Jerusalem that he had moved him to tears, cried for the souls that were there that wouldn't heed his call our lives, the life of the church has to be renewed in a place of prayer, passionate passionate prayer, amen passionate prayer not just I lay me down to sleep not just the same words you say every time you pray Is there, we get in ruts we say the same thing every time we pray and it's because we're thinking off in la la land and those words come easy to us and we can think while we can still say something I know for certainty whenever I kneel down to pray, whenever I'm having one of those struggling times. You know why? Because those repetitious phrases that are the good old fallback start coming out my mouth. And I'm like, God, help me get this together. But I know the other times then, whenever I plugged into the Almighty because I don't know what in the world's going on around me. They could literally come in and rob this church, and I probably wouldn't even know it because I'm plugged into God in prayer. I'm focused, I'm honed in. It's a difference between apathetic and being passionate. Amen. Being connected or being disconnected. Amen. In prayer, we got to return to a passionate prayer. If my people, which are called will humble them, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray the fourth the fourth the fourth enemy of prayer there is convenience there is busyness there is apathy the fourth the fourth enemy of prayer is hypocrisy the priest felt like man we're doing this right filling the temple in the tabernacle area there with animals to be sought and bought and sold for worship we're doing the right thing amen but the temple would become a place of a suitable alternative. And if you allow hypocrisy to live long enough in the temple, it'll take over. If you allow hypocrisy to live long enough in your heart and your life, it'll take over. It'll destroy your ability to be able to pray legitimately and pursue God. So there's sometimes the temple is not cluttered with animals and the money changers, okay? And instead, I've already touched on this a little bit with the last one, but they come to the temple and he's telling them about how you speak to me with your lips, but your heart. It's far from me. In essence, that is a hypocritical prayer. It has the appearance that you're here doing this, when you're doing something else, wow. a hypocrite basically, it's not what it seems or appears to be. Right. Amen. Sometimes we come in, we come in services, we sit in pews, we allow our minds to become so busy with the material world. Amen. We come in, we sing the tunes of the Lord, the messages of God, but man, our feelings and our thoughts are all over the radar. and I'm, I'm just, you know, teaching the night, but, you know, and sometimes we, we, you know, say, well, I don't go to that church because there's a hypocrite, and, you know, every church has them, you know, so on and so forth. And sometimes we, 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 we probably dancey doe with the line of being one and some services we come, we're not one because we're hypocritical sometimes in our worship. We cast up of a hand because that's what you do when you come to church. You raise a hand. Or that's what Brother Mason asked for you to do from the piano. Let's everybody raise their hands. But as far as they're being feeling and real intent, the time when he asked you you just threw him up because it was asked of you, not because you was really seeking God. Amen. So, you know, we we can do I mean we could do hypocritical we can sometimes come to the altar at the Emma service in a hypocritical fashion. And I respect you respecting me. But more importantly than that is us respecting God. Amen. We give our tithes and our offerings, you know, and that's great and that's tremendous, and we should. But to do that and then to leave some of these others undone, Scripture even speaks of, to leave some of the others undone, it's not good as well. Amen. So, you know, we listen to the word of God, we're, we concentrate upon the word of God, but at the same time, through other venues, we could be desecrating our spirits in our temple with violence and wrath and malice and envy. Uh-huh. Those are, those are hypocritical actions. The thing about hypocrisy that is, is probably the most detrimental is that it is oftentimes carried out by those who are often the most knowledgeable about the holy and the old, most intimate and sacred things of God. Because you cannot pull off hypocrisy good unless you have a knowledge of the other world. You can't fool someone about your godliness if you're not acquainted with what godliness is. A con artist is able to be a con artist because he educates him in such a way of however it is that he, he, he familiarizes himself and educates himself in order to be the current artist of the opposite world or the or even someone of theft of identity. You want to become another person, you better learn their mannerisms. You better have their signature. You got to, so you're most knowledgeable about them, but you're escaping as something else. And so in order to be a hypocrite, you are usually the most knowledgeable about the holy and sacred things of God or otherwise you wouldn't be able to pull it off. Amen. The Bible says, Jude chapter number one, and verse number 12, there's only one chapter in Jude, so I guess that went without saying. But if I said Jude 12, everybody would be looking for the 12th chapter of Jude. <laughs> he says, These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit wither without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea foaming out of their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And what we have here, a picture in view is this, is that there are seemingly a lot of things here that are true and supposed to be themselves. They have life, but they're full of deadness. They're not what they seem to be. There's a lot of things here that are not what they seem to be. And it happens, Uh, Van Dorn said this, he said, the hypocrite, listen to the terminology, it might be a little difficult to follow, but it's just a few words. The hypocrite affects the innocence of the dove to hide in the cunningness of the serpent. Balaam, a prophet, but he didn't have any values. Judas, an apostle, but he seemingly didn't have a conscience saw a king but he seemed to have no spiritual royalty or loyalty for that matter Imbound stated these words and again I've told you before if you want to read about prayer read Imbound he has all kinds of books published about prayer and he's an old 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 gentleman years gone by he says our religion breaks down oftenest and most sadly in our conduct he said beautiful theories are marred by ugly lies The most difficult as well as the most impressive point in piety is to live it. Our praying suffers as much as our religion from bad living. Preachers were charged in primitive times to preach by their lives or not preach at all. So Christians everywhere ought to pray by their lives or not pray at all. Praying which does not result in pure conduct is a delusion. We have missed the whole office and virtue of praying if it does not rectify conduct. It is in the very nature of things that we must quit praying or quit bad conduct a life growing in its purity and devotion will be a more prayerful life the bible states in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 5 and when thou prayest thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men verily I say unto you they have their reward and I'm saying this not just because maybe society is saying this, I'm saying this because I truly believe this. If someone were to ask me what is probably one of the greater needs of the church at this hour, my response would be this, the church needs to be prayed. Years ago as an evangelist when the question would come up, I'd tell them the church needs teaching. And this hour, and I haven't traveled here and there a lot, but some a little bit, my, my request would be, or my answer would be this of this hour, the church needs to be prayed sports stadiums are taking the place of prayer, it's robbing us of our praying, money used in the wrong way, it's robbing us of our prayers Hollywood's filling the minds of impressionable minds, by that means it's robbing us of our prayer, amen discord's sown, it doesn't take much for rumors to get around and truth is rarely spoken it's robbing us of our prayers, pride Deceit rules the lives of men and women. We're being robbed, being robbed of our prayers. Amen. Hobbies and interests take preeminence over sacred time with God. We are being robbed of our prayers. I conclude with this this evening, and you stand with me. Bishop, I, I don't want to get to the end of my life and the rapture to take place, and I don't want to be faced with the conclusion that I might have been a man of prayer. There's a story told of a man who once came to see the famous artist Rossetti. His mission was motivated by the idea that this famous artist might be interested in the pictures that he had painted. Rossetti looked at the paintings and then hesitated as he tried to find the most diplomatic words for the man. He wanted to speak the truth, but he did not want to wound him either. It was not easy because the work was just so common. At last, he told the traveler as sympathetically as he possibly could. And so after Rasadi had told him, the old man pulled out another collection of portraits that had been worked on diligently by a young student. What are your thoughts on these particular paintings? Rasadi was taken back by the power, flair, and talent represented by this younger man's collection. These are excellent. They show great promise that this young man will one day distinguish himself among the artisans. The words wilted the old man who after a long sigh confessed, I was that student. Nothing could be sadder than a life with such a history. The excellence was promised 40 years ago, but 40 years later, failure. And it's not because the old man had lost the cunningness of his hand, but he had lost some things along the way concerning his character, his desire, his zeal, his passion. I think that's what the Lord was considering during visit number one compared to visit number two and I've seen a lot of potential here I've seen a lot of potential here this house is intended for a house of prayer because it's come not just a den of merchandise now it's a den of thieves I exclaimed today as a bookend to this thematic month on prayer that this house must be a house of prayer don't allow the thief of convenience to steal that don't allow the thief of busyness to steal that don't allow the thief of apathy disregard, disconnectedness to steal that nor hypocrisy let's just get in there find that niche with God in that secret place turn it into our homes turn it into our church and make those houses where we pray houses of prayer Brother Mason if you can come right now if we can bow our heads all across this place